Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Alone at Lunch early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. You're listening to a Morbid Network podcast. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Most weight loss plans are one size fits all, not taking into account each person's individual needs. Noom takes into account dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs to build a plan that works for you. Everyone's journey is different, so your daily lessons are personalized to you and your goals. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your free trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Alone at Lunch. I am Emily Walsh, as always, and I'm here with my co-host, Carly Montag. Hey, it's me. It's you. And we have the hilarious Patrick Hasty on the podcast today. Hello. Hey, how are you guys? How, how's it going? <laughs> it's going <laughs> swell. How are Fantastic. you? Fantastic. I love it. It's great. How's your day going? It's, it's wonderful. Uh, it's fine. Life is hell. But, you know... <laughs> uh, I, uh, my, I worked all day from home, which is uh, what we do. Yeah. And uh, I work from this exact location. This is my home office it's in our bedroom. Yes. Uh, it used to be in the living room, but uh, my wife and I both work from home. And we, after about like 10 months of it, we're like, all right, let's uh, put a wall between us. <laughs> uh, and so I worked from here. And then I spent the last, uh, I'd say, hour or so listening to a wonderful podcast called Alone at Lunch. So yes. that was very exciting too. I feel oh, like nice. we've been talking, I literally feel like me, you guys, and Marsha Belsky have been having a conversation <laughs> for an hour, and I just didn't chime in all that much. <laughs> well, awesome. I hope you, you did chime in. in. I was oh, gonna say, sure. I hope you did chime in a little bit at home, just yeah, occasionally, I, like, me too. <laughs> I could be in like, you're fucking lying, Marsha, I know you. <laughs> can, I, can I cuss on this thing? Yeah, go for it. Sure. Well, of course, but we it's fun to ask, even you know, even though we all know. <laughs> no, actually we're on the Christian podcast network. Sorry. Sorry, you have we to can't. Say it like I mean cuss. Yeah. Yes. Cuss. Oh yeah. That's I imagine I'm Carly's mom still listens. My mom stopped a long time ago, yeah. but I think Rona still listens. So shout out to my mom. Your mom's name is Rona? It is, yeah. Ooh, what a rough year for that one, huh? <laughs> Yeah, she Google knows. Alerts. She Please. for sure knows. <laughs> yeah, your mom's name is Rona and my mom's name is Karen. Bad year for our oh. moms. Dang, yeah, yeah. Dang, that's wow. fun. They should meet yeah. up and hug in solidarity. Yeah. Right. I was listening to something and they had kind of moved on from Karen and they said Susan and that were, mm. they were clearly meaning that that was like also kind of a Karen and that's yeah. my aunt's name, my mom's <laughs> sister. My so mom's my... name is Susan. Uh, that's not true. Uh, my mom's nah. name is Sue <laughs> Which is very close to Susan. It's like literally a letter off, but yeah. Um, right there, right in the ballpark. Like, I've been calling, you know, the, the Karen thing, how that kind of spiraled out of control like crazy, right? Yeah. Uh, w- like 10 years ago, that was the word that people were using for just like insane or, you know, angry, loud woman was kind of like a, like in stand-up at least. It was like, oh, look, Karen's out here in the audience. Everybody give it up for Karen. And I'm so surprised that that went from being like a little shorthand stand-up lexicon thing to like everywhere like it became everything was like a karen it blew my mind and it's it, now it's become an annoying word because half the people using it don't even really know what they're saying yeah like it's yeah. been taken over and they're just like anyone who bothers me is karen yeah right <laughs> yeah it's so uh, words are wonderful huh how they evolve you're gonna get a new one soon carly i heard for a hanukkah present uh, i like referencing stuff that <laughs> happened before we started recording um <laughs> I've been saying snazzy a lot. I usually have a word and I stick with it for a while and then I just throw it away. Like for a while I was saying fantastic just for like everything. I'd be like fantastic. That's 
on our on my I have a podcast called The Nostalgic Front, and on that my co-host Brandon Ream, his word is fantastic. Like every two hundred episodes, how's it going, Brandon? Fantastic to the point where we have merch, we have shirts that say "fantastic." <laughs> that's awesome. great. Yeah. Sometimes I'll be like, "Wow!" Like that's my mm. wow. Oh, that's, that's my new that's yeah, something too. you you love to do a wow without punctuation in a text that always <laughs> makes me feel shitty and yeah, i yeah. don't that's a lot i think it's totally <laughs> sincere but i always am like oh she doesn't care like i'll tell you like a fun thing and you'll be like wow yeah. that's how i know it's it. usually like wow <laughs> yeah it's such a word it has so many different it's like you know it has so many different meanings you know it's like wow good job no one cares emily <laughs> yeah, or like clearly wow. me projecting holy but I shit take that tone yeah, yeah i'm always like carly doesn't give a shit about anything one thing yeah. about me is i never give a shit about everything anything <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's that's our whole relationship it's me just i've always not heard caring that about at you. all Do, have you ever used a word ironically and then it just naturally becomes part of your lexicon mm. all the time like, yeah. I, for a long time i was saying bro and then i oh, really yeah. said it I really got in there and I was yeah. just throwing it up. And then I kind of had to stop myself because I was doing it to people that did not know me at all. Oh, sure. I yeah. Like, I don't want to establish my personality as a bro person. Like, I don't want to be a hundred percent. I did that in high school. I did that. We had a, a guy we knew called every said everything was baller, but like Ooh. he wasn't a kind of guy. He shouldn't be saying baller. He just decided to say it. And we were making fun of him. We used to play poker on like Friday nights. And we were like, oh, baller, ball. And then like a year later, I'm just a guy who says baller all the time. <laughs> I'll be like, oh, look at that dog. It's baller. <laughs> <laughs> that is a baller dog. Yeah. It's a, I, uh, it gets you. My earnestness just gets you in general. I feel like my, I was thinking about this. I was talking to somebody, my, one of my best friends, I met him 10 years ago now. He's actually officiating uh, my wedding. So that's fantastic. Cool. A man of the but, law, uh, law, man of the Lord. Not at all. No, boat, just a guy. Captain. He's, okay. Yeah. He's done it before. <laughs> We're letting him do it again. He's a minister of something. So sure. I just keep telling my family he's a minister. Um, yeah. But he, when we first met, he was uh, transitioning careers. We call, I decided a, he's a Ford Harrison. He was an actor turned carpenter. So um, <laughs> he's fun. Ford Harrison. And he was there and he was literally like interning at 25. And he does, he won't mind that I was saying this, but I, I was just assuming he would have a really shitty attitude because I yeah. was his supervisor. We were the same age. And I was like, he's this guy. He's going to be a fucking dick. Mm -hmm. And every time I asked him how it was going, he would just say, I'm excited to be here. Happy oh. to be here. And I really was like, you fucking dick. Like, yeah. I, I was like, you could at least pretend. And he would also call me ma'am sometimes because he's from Austin. And yeah. I was like, this guy. Like, I really. And finally, I think I yelled at him I was yeah. like all right I don't need this attitude from you anymore <laughs> and he was like I just I really am happy to be here yeah yeah <laughs> and then like Genuinely a month later we became best friends so happy people fuck that when I got married my friend Alistair <laughs> a kid I grew up with one of my best friends he he officiated our wedding and he wore like a real he's a half Japanese and he wore this sweet white suit with a he's half Japanese half southern which is though you got to know about him. Okay. Like his dad's like very Southern. And so he looked basically like Japanese uh, Matlock, which was awesome. And he gets That's up there and I, you know, the, how the wedding works. I walk down there and he's got this nice black binder. And I'm like, oh, black bio. Oh, that's cool. He really did his work, you know, because he's not a real minister. And I get down there and it's just him and I, and I lean over and I'm like, hey, what's in the binder? And he like shows it to me and it's, and it's empty. And he's like, I don't fucking know. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And I just kept <laughs> fidgeting with my hands. <laughs> That's great. I thought it was so good. Oh my God. Yeah. That there's such an interesting group of people that are friendship wedding officiants. And yeah. Some of yeah. them take it really seriously. And some mm -hmm. of them, a friend of mine who is now uh, getting divorced. So take this story yeah. as you will. They had a friend uh, officiate and I don't know exactly what they told him. I think they mostly <laughs> just said, you can't swear. Like, please don't swear for grandma yeah. and uh, do whatever you want. And so what he did was he dressed as the Pope oh, Jesus. and he demanded that he be carried in. So the bride and groom literally followed him being carried in. And you could tell that no one was happy about this, but yeah. that they were like letting it happen for some reason. They also, the way they did their wedding, they had a cocktail hour and then a feats of strength competition. Oh, golly, these and people. then got married. Uh, so hence the divorce, but also yeah. we were all <laughs> hammered, hammered oh, by the time the wedding happened. So he's dressed oh as the God. Pope. I think he had like a saber as well. So it's confusing Pope. 
and he did like five minutes of like material like yeah. he's not a stand-up but he no. was he was thinking he was and he swore so much oh, and he God. literally told the whole group grandma's in the front whole group grandma's in the front that the first time Nick came home after a date with his now ex-wife, he talked about how great her ass was. Oh boy. And oh, then he was boy. going to like marry that butt. And yeah. like, that's a funny bachelor party story. Yeah. I, you know, like it's so, it was the craziest. Or crazy. maybe at the reception and everybody's drunk and it's late at night. Not sure. during the ceremony. Home. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, it was, it was fucking oh, crazy. That's that insane. whole wedding was crazy. That's a while. Yeah. I went to my friend uh, Peaswad got married and this one also didn't work out. His wedding also fell apart. So maybe this was a sign, but uh, they got married in a small town in Iowa where um, it was her family's like the pastor that had, you know, been in their pastor their whole life. They were religious, whatever. I don't even know what, I don't even know what brand of Christianity it was, but they were not religious at all. And they weren't rude about it. They just weren't. And so before the, the ceremony, we, I was outside, I saw this happen. He walked up to the pastor and tipped him, which I guess is the thing you're supposed to do. Like he tipped him like a hundred bucks and was like, hey, we just, it's just about us. We'd really like it if you didn't do any of the, you know, any religious stuff other than, you know, the basic stuff you have to do. And the pastor was like, okay. And then the, the ceremony starts, they're both up there. And he literally goes, all right, well, uh, I'd like to do a reading from the Bible now. And he literally did like a 25 minute sermon in the Jesus. middle of their wedding. And both of them just had this deadpan look on their face the whole time. Every, like everybody in the audience was uncomfortable. Their whole bridal party was uncomfortable. And afterwards it was awesome because me and two of our other friends and him got to go up to this like 60 year old priest and be like, give us back that money, man. <laughs> <laughs> that tip has been revoked. Yeah. It was, it was wild. It was crazy. I've uh, only been to one religious wedding carly's so mad she just wants to talk about <laughs> podcast things but i'm gonna keep talking i muted you know, her i have that power on the, <laughs> <laughs> the only uh i'll tell this story and then we'll we'll ask patrick where he's from i promise um <laughs> the the only religious wedding i've been to in the past like 10 15 years a friend of mine had a catholic they did like a full catholic mass and i grew up catholic and my best friend grew up catholic so we're like I haven't been to mass in 20 years, but I'm like, you guys, you guys, I'm in the row with all my college friends. I'm like, I'll tell you when to kneel. We'll tell you yeah, when to yeah. stand. We got all the call and response or whatever. Uh, very embarrassing. Like 10 years ago, they changed the wording of everything. Oh yeah. You and look we like did not know. We yeah. look like fucking idiots. Like it used to be peace be with you and also with you. And now it's peace be with you. And like, and also peace with you. I don't know. They and you as well, just, I think. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They changed it just enough that we looked like real assholes because we were literally whispering like 10 people and be like, mm -hmm. when they say peace be with you, say also with you. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was rough. Uh, I used to have a bit about that because I did not grow up religious at all. Like my parents, we were, we were religious to an extent like we believed in God. We said grace, but we never went to a church. I had no concept of the Bible other than the movies that they would play on Easter and stuff. And so the first time I went to a church where they, they did the Lord's prayer, I, that I, I tried to do a bit for a long time about how that's the, that's the most alien you'll ever feel as a, as a human being is when every single person in the room knows this paragraph and a half <laughs> verbatim and they all say it together and you've never heard of it and you didn't expect this. And it just made me feel like I was like, what planet did I slip into here? You know? It's really wild. And you really don't even know what you're saying. Like I no. thought about it recently in adulthood and I tried to remember the whole prayer and I was like, surely I can remember it from context. And it's yeah. like, no, cause you never knew what you were saying. You just repeated <laughs> it. I tried birth. to do the FFA uh, thing once. Uh, I don't remember it. FFA has like a motto, you know, it's like, Oh, for cows, sure. for sheep, for dog. I don't remember what it was, but I thought it'd be <laughs> funny to do that at a church once at a, an ex-girlfriend's church and everybody got mad. <laughs> So anyway, Carly, is, you had something. What is FFA? <laughs> what does FFA stand for? Uh, Future Farmers of America. That's what I, I did, thought. Okay. Yeah, I did not. Uh, I was a farmer, so I did not. Uh, that to me was like uh, cosplay. I was like, I don't need that. I got the real <laughs> deal out here in the yard. Uh, but where I was in classes. Where are you from? I am from Iowa. I'm from Glenwood, Iowa. Ah, Glenwood, um, Iowa. Yeah, it's a little town. Uh, it's a small, little small town in Southwest Iowa but it's about uh, 40. Well, when I was a kid, it was 40 minutes by car to Omaha, Nebraska. And now oh. it's like 20 minutes by car because they built a new bridge that just makes it way easier over the Missouri River. <laughs> like, did they move Nebraska closer? <laughs> yeah. Well, honestly, that's part of it too. Like the cities just keep growing and stuff. Um, 
but yeah, so I got to grow up on a small town, like literally like we had one old doctor, we had one store, we had a, we had a pizza hut and a Hardee's and that was it. Um, and then, but then once I got a license, I could be in Omaha in 40 minutes and I was in punk bands and you could go to the mall and you could go to like movies and stuff. So it's kind of this fun uh, duality of those. Cause like if I would have lived 20 minutes further East and I, you know, from Omaha, I probably never would have gone there. You probably wouldn't be like, mm. we're not going to go an hour and 20 minutes to Omaha. We'll just go to the next small town, you know? Right. Right. So I, I have spent a weird amount of time in Omaha for never having lived there because my <laughs> college boyfriend is from there. Oh, so yeah. I went to visit like two, twice for two weeks. So I've spent a month in Omaha total. I've been to the zoo. Uh, oh yeah, of course. Henry Dorley. I, I was very upset because he did not. So I, I have a very big fear of bats. So much so now that even my, more than ever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now that more stuff than ever. Carly's mom's pulling. <laughs> you can't handle it. But uh, so the fear is so bad that my fiance and one of our friends call them night birds if they see oh. them because I get real upset about bats. And yeah. so it stems from my cousin. I might actually be Batman. When I was a child, my cousin <laughs> opened a well and all these bats flew out and got caught in my hair and I screamed and it was horrifying. That's oh, why. So yeah. I I'm really don't like bats. And we were uh, at the Omaha Zoo and they have that like nocturnal mm -hmm. house or whatever. But there's no netting from the bats. There's yeah. just like grocery store doors. Like there's yeah. two double doors so you don't let a bat leave. Like they might get caught in the lobby or whatever. But he did not tell me, and then you cannot go backwards. No, Once there's you're no backwards. in, yeah. So and I had get, to just run from lobby to lobby. And I was like 22. I was not proud of this, but I no. was like, I cannot, I can't see a bat. There used to always be stories that they'd like land in people's hair and stuff, like women's yeah. hair. Cause like if you had a big hairdo, they just get up in there. And then, and the my hair is famously enormous. Yeah. <laughs> you got that, uh, Mar we used to call you Marge Simpson. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, there's also there, which I am very similar to you, but I am that way with birds and especially bugs. And mm. uh, bugs, I know it sounds stupid, but they had a room there that was with butterflies. And it was the same kind of thing where you, you, it's like you walk through and you can't touch anything. Like if a butterfly lands on you, you just got to live with it for until it leaves because it's like that's part of it. And I had a butterfly land on my head and I was like 21 and I was like panic attacking, freaking out. You can't, like, if you do anything, it's, like, horrible. You're there for that reason. I just didn't realize that when I walked in. But, yeah, it's weird. Animals are weird. Birds <laughs> and big bugs and bats, no thank you. Did you know everybody in your town growing up? Uh, pretty much. I graduated high school with 130 kids. Mm -hmm. um, and, like, each, you know, each grade was like that. Um, and so pretty much, yeah, um, my – and also it was small enough that, like, it was it was, like – the girl I sat next to on the first day of kindergarten, uh, Jennifer Hopp, we also sat next to each other uh, the day we graduated high school. Like, there was <laughs> wow. no, you didn't like go to a different middle school. You just all traveled together to different, to the, from the elementary to the middle school to the high school. Yeah. Um, and so uh, all those people, and I'm still, all of those people are my best friends. Like all my best friends from fifth grade are still yeah. who I consider my best friends today. We have a group text that we are constantly have been active in since texting started, so everybody's like dating each other back and forth up and downs kind of uh sort of but like uh personally me because i thought i figured it out early in high school because with 150 kids per class that's like half of that is girls or whatever it's like you're not gonna and then some of those people you know are long-term relationships already and stuff so i found easy right away that what i like to do was my town had like whatever 150 kids per class the next town over was a town called Malvern that had like 50 kids per class mm -hmm. and I didn't know any of those girls and they we wouldn't see them in the hallway so if you broke up it was fine <laughs> but it was still 15 minutes away so I would always go date girls from other towns um and then you were a little more mysterious too and when you were in the hallway you never had anybody like an ex that wanted to fight you or anything like that right you know? um You're and then later I did it yeah you were just like going roaming the streets being like, hey. Yeah, yeah, I was just <laughs> hollering for it. I was like, who's got it? I'll take it. Uh, I was, I think it was because I, um, I grew up on the, so I grew up on the country in this little area, this like my parents' house where they still live, our farm, is the exact distance between three small towns. And the biggest of the small town is the town that my parents grew up in. Um, and it's kind of hard to explain. Maybe this doesn't make any sense. But basically, my parents had a farm out in the middle of nowhere. And there was no bus system. There was no other kids out there. But so then when my my older brother and sister needed to start going to school, 
the school districts were like, well, what do you want to do? We're going to extend one of these different school districts. Which one do you want? And so they went with the one they, they grew up in. But because of that, I also lived like 10 minutes from these two other small towns. So it was very easy for me to go to these little small towns, make friends. I knew some of the guys there. I knew a lot of the girls there. We'd all hang out. And then at the end of the day, I could just be back in my hometown when I went. Wow. To, like, what did you do? Difference. What did you do when you were really little? Like, did you guys have, if there's, there's no like neighborhood kids around? Um, no, not at all. I, when I was really, I was very uh, imaginative, I'd say. Uh, I used my imagination a lot, like to, to this day, you know, like I had like imaginary friends and stuff. I had a brother and sister who, my sister's six years older than me, my brother's eight years older than me. And then the one thing I had was um, we had a tight family where uh, uh, in the summers, especially, and then after school and stuff, everybody would go to my aunt's for babysitter. So like I had a cousin that was in my grade who like we were like best friends when we were little kids. And then like a lot of scattered cousins anywhere from three, four years older than me to three, four years younger than me that were just like a gang. And we'd all go meet at like my Aunt Janie's trailer. And so in the summers and after school, that's where you'd be until your parents would come pick you up. So when I was really little, that was like my whole social circle was all of those kids, all of my cousins. Did you, you said you were, you were in bands and things like that? Yeah, that's, that's what I think is the positive of being so close to Omaha and growing up there was I got to, I didn't have to be, just because I was, I was on a farm and I like was raised on a farm and worked the farm every day. But then I could also then just go to Omaha and have like my cool black shirt and my weird hat and be in a, <laughs> like a pop punk band and stuff. And I, other farm kids didn't have, if you lived in a different city, town, you wouldn't have that opportunity. Um, and that's where I also, that's how I started meeting girls and stuff like that, is we'd go to concerts at a, some random town uh, church basement, and then all of a sudden all the girls think you're awesome because they don't know you're just a weird kid that's your, they, that, you know, they, they haven't seen you every day of school since elementary school, so they don't know you're a weirdo. Um, so that kind of made, kept that going. It's very easy to be mysterious in high school. I remember yeah. I like once I was like junior, senior in high school, I started going to weird concerts in weird church basements and being like, who are those boys? And it was just that they were different and yeah. we hadn't seen them every day. Yeah. And there was always a weird thing where like you'd like not like there would be you'd be with guys from other schools. You'd be talking to them and they'd be like, oh, who's that girl? And I'm like, oh, really? Carrie, really? And you can't look at Carrie as like a... 15 year old 16 year old girl in your class you look at her as the girl who like peter pants on the bus when you were in first grade so like you, you never evolved that person into more than who they've been your whole life so then you're kind of like oh i bet that's what it is like all these girls that like i think amanda's super cute and so we're boyfriend and girlfriend but like to this dude that's just the girl that he's known since like elementary school too you know so it's like getting out of your like your little bubble was really important i think for meeting people except for when it came to friends all of my best friends at that time were like literally the dudes that i grew up with a lot of them were guys the ones that i grew up with what um do, do you like farming did you like working on a farm uh no i like it <laughs> now in retrospect and i liked uh i liked a lot of the skills i got from it um but i would uh and i love like my family i love the idea of it i love working the land and like you know like we were poor we were we didn't have a lot of money and so like literally there were times where like when we were hungry we would slaughter a pig or a cow that we wouldn't have otherwise we would have kept you know to sell it or something um and then we'd have food you know to help us out you know um and so it's like conflicting i i am proud of it but the day i turned 16 i got a job at pizza hut and then that was kind of the deal with my family i was like okay i don't do this stuff no more you know um, and I really haven't. I've helped my grandpa build fence two or three times in the last 20 years. And then, but, it, but it's just not, it just wasn't for me. The way as my older brother, he like, he enjoyed farming. I never enjoyed it when I was doing it. I always hated, it. always thought it was like, uh, it was just extra work I didn't want to do um, and laborious, but my brother thought it was rad. So now my brother does farming way more than, you know, I do. Were you guys farming to sell products or for your own benefit? I don't uh, know much about why or how people farm. I'm a little bit naive in that <laughs> yeah, way. Most people do not. And I probably don't. It's just like everything else. I probably don't know either. Uh, <laughs> we, we would raise like soybeans and corn. And then we would, because um, we, so my parent, my grandfather has tons of acres, like tons of land in Southwest Iowa. And then when my, my dad went to the army when he was like, I don't know, like 18, 18 or whatever, right out of high school did like three years in the army in that like good time between like Vietnam and like, you know, like the Grenada and stuff, all those like late eighties conflicts. So he never really had to go to war or anything. 
And when he got out, my grandfather like made a deal with him. Here's six acres or five acres of land. It's yours. Build a house on it. Do whatever you want. So we, we had a small little tract of land that we would do corn and soybean on. And um, that you would sell. They would like, I don't know how that worked, but like a guy would come and we'd sell that all to him. Um, but then my grandfather, for him, it was more like an industry. Like he had a thousand acres that he would do corn and sell. And that was like his whole year and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Um, but then we also would have, we had pigs. When I was a little kid, we had pigs. Um, and then we had cows. And then we had, uh, when, I, when I was like five, uh, we had on our property, this really old barn that was built like in the, I don't know, like probably the early 1900s for somebody who lived on this land years before we ever had it. And we were still using that barn but we had a pig that was giving birth one night and it hit a heat lamp, which you have in these pins to keep their, and it basically started a huge fire and it burned down and it, we lost all of our pigs and all of our cows oh, and all wow. of our chickens at that time. Oh my uh, God. Yeah. And I have a, it's, it is a very sad thing. The joke of it is, and this is literally how I remember it is I was five. And so I remember everybody being really sad, but the fucked up thing is, is that if you burn a bunch of pigs and cows and chickens and eggs and like, hey, it just smells like breakfast. It smells really, really good. And so, and smoky too. And so like, I have, like my sense memory of that is like a delicious diner, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, it sounds, it's yeah. all my favorite things yeah. cooking out together with but then, like my, wood. My sister who's six years old to me remembers it as like, you know, like the worst day of our, yeah. one of the worst days of our childhood and stuff. Um, so because of that, we got out of animals for a long time until maybe, when I was in about middle school, then, and my grandfather the whole time, we were always helping with him. He always had, you know, a couple hundred head of cattle and stuff. But then eventually we got back into pigs, back into some cattle um, that my dad was kind of taking care of. And um, so I dealt with that again until I turned 16 and then was out of it. So how did you get into playing? Like, did you always like music? Did you, uh, how, did you, were you playing an instrument? Were you singing? What was your role in the uh, I Yeah. Scene. I always loved music. Um, I was, when I was a little kid, uh, my family, we had like a, kind of like a family band, but that sounds too corny. It was basically like whenever there was an event, everybody would bring their instruments and then they, it was like a jam. And it was always most, mostly based around folk, old folk music. And then like a lot of seventies rock and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and it was really fun. And I always wanted to play guitar. So I got a guitar when I was like 12. And I, I honestly have not progressed since I was 14. Like I learned... <laughs> basic chords. I never learned how to play lead or anything, but I learned enough chords that by the time I got to, I was like 15, 14, 15. Um, my friend Christian, one of the, who I grew up with was also good at guitar, but he was good at playing lead and he could like listen to a piece of music and play it. So him and I, and then some of our other friends, we just started writing songs. And then eventually like they would, like they were all my, all my friends that I was in bands with were also really good at athlete, or athletics and really good at school. And I wasn't. So then you'd lose people from the band. And eventually I got into a band with some guys from like other towns and stuff where we uh, um, kind of, it was the kids like me from other schools in the area and Omaha and stuff who we started a pop punk band and then we would play shows constantly like um, around Omaha and Council Bluffs. And it was crazy because it was at this time when like, in the early 2000s, Bright Eyes was coming up, Cursive was coming up, uh, the faint, all these like pivotal Omaha rock bands. And we were like, a, I mean, we were there, but like, I had no idea at the time. Like I didn't know <laughs> Saddle Creek Records. I knew Saddle Creek the street, but, um, but that was really fun and like uh, a good time, you know? Did you see that go, were you like, this is my way to like get out and and this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life type thing or oh yeah 100% I I was convinced and I, I was terrible at school I hated I didn't like school I liked it for the hangout and stuff like the hanging out with my friends but I was a C student you know um and so I uh I would 100% convinced that if not that band the next band or at least writing songs because I loved writing music and I couldn't write music like I couldn't write scales or whatever but I could write lyrics and I could play guitar to those lyrics. Mm -hmm. um, I always thought that was going to be a thing. And, but I also, I can't sing. I can't like hear music to sing. Um, so I was always dependent on somebody. So I kind of felt like, like to put it in terms of like, I always thought I, I was always waiting for the singer that I gelled with enough that we could then become like a team and make music together. Yeah. Um, and so it was a lot of like 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 was a lot of just 
going through different incarnations of that and never being too successful. Like, I mean, we'd go, we did like two little road tours that were like nothing. Um, I, I, we talked our way onto a warp tour side stage one time, but it was nice. like a joke. It was literally like, they just let us in when they weren't supposed to, cause they're stupid. Um, <laughs> but it was like, it, it was awesome to look back on. It was really fun. Um, and it's what set me up for what I, you know, to go on to stand up because the most fun and a lot of comic, a lot of people have this experience was on stage in between songs. Like I could barely play guitar. I'm not singing. So nobody's looking at me. So in between songs, I'm like doing bits and stuff like that. And <laughs> that would be like the, you know, the dream I we'd, we'd be done with the show and we're packing up and everybody would be talking about like, Oh my gosh, when you said that thing about that girl in the front row or whatever, or like, Oh man, when you started making fun of, you know, uh, Garrett for what he was doing in the back, it was like, that was what the spark of what spawned everything else. You got started by doing crowd work. That's pretty much not yeah. usually the case. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, and also, and then I spent not eight, like eight years doing stand up before I was like, Oh, I could try to talk to the audience, you know, before I started actually <laughs> doing crowd work again. Uh, but it was fun. So did you start stand up in Omaha? Uh, no, I actually started in Iowa. So um, I, once I realized the music probably wasn't going to work out, uh, I went to college and I, I should, I, I'm glad I did. I had a good time, but I didn't like, I wasn't good. I wasn't smart. I kept failing out at different colleges and stuff. Um, but I was at Iowa State University and I met the woman that became my wife um, and we fell in love. And so I just worked. And when I was like early 20s, I worked uh, at a gas station. I dropped out of school because I was like sick of spending all this money on tuition that didn't matter. And so I, I, I like helped run a gas station. I worked a Blockbuster video a lot during this time period. Um, and then when my wife graduated college, uh, my wife graduated college in 2010. We got married a week later. And then we nice. moved from Ames, Iowa, which is where Iowa State is, to Des Moines, Iowa, which is about 30 minutes south, which is a town in the Midwest. It's very comparable to Omaha. It's very similar. It's about three hours away. It's, it's in the center of the state of Iowa. But I had no real experience with it in my whole life other than like going to the, the there's a, a adventure land. There was like a theme park there. The one um, time I went to Des Moines, I went to a bar called The Zoo. Oh, and yeah. they had some sort of pre-made Red Bull vodka situation, <laughs> drank a lot of that. And then me and my college boyfriend threw up in separate bathroom stalls while holding hands, which That's is amazing. one of the nicer memories <laughs> of that relationship, if I'm being honest. My, this but, is a, uh, that was the one time I was in Des Moines. <laughs> this is an aside, but it reminded me of that. That's really funny. Uh, when I was in college, I went to college in Ames. Ames, Iowa, where Iowa State was. And I love that town still to this day, even though the I owe the college tons of money still, I, whatever. Uh, they never gave me a degree, but I'll pay them till I'm dead. Uh, <laughs> but one, it was fun. My parents came one time and my dad had never been to Ames, Iowa before. And he's like, I've never been to Ames. I've been to Ankeny, which is just another town in the middle of Iowa, right? And we're, we go out to eat one night at this pizza place we loved called Great Plain Sauce and Dough. And, and it's kind of that thing when first time, like maybe I've been out of the house for like a year and a half and I'm seeing my parents as like people and we're like just, and I've already now, I'm in college for two years now. I'm, I'm a drunk maniac, but I'm also like having fun. I'm, I'm at a good level. And my dad and my mom and I are all at this pizza place, drinking a beer, eating. And my dad's talking and he's like, this place is really great. And I was like, yeah. He's like, I love this pizza. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, I have a question. He's like, if you go left out of here and then take a corner, is there a gas station? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, okay. And then like the next block over, there's like a big parking structure. Right. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, okay, I have never been to Ankeny, Iowa. I've been to Ames, Iowa. <laughs> and we found out that my dad's whole life thinking this week he spent sleeping on a couch in this random town happened was in a completely Ames? different town. And as soon as we walked out, he like walked me around that area and was like, oh yeah, this is the apartment we hung out in. This is where your cousin was dating the guy who stayed here. This is where we almost get hit by a train. And it was just like so funny to have that like weird cross hatch with him for a moment, you know? Um, That's well, you wild. can edit that out. I'm pr pretty sure that was the story for no one. No, uh, we, we enjoyed For that. Iowa enthusiasts. Oh for yeah, yeah. Getting them all out enthusiasts. there. I ain't even mentioned Cedar Rapids yet. That's coming. Uh, but yeah, so then anyways, I go to Des Moines and, my, and literally my wife and I, we just got married. We got a nice apartment there. Uh, I get a job. Uh, I worked for a gas station chain uh, that was hilariously called Come and Go. Oh, and, I've uh, seen that sign. Oh, yeah, baby. I, was, uh, I have my name tag right up there. I was an assistant manager for a long time. Uh, and uh, basically, like I remember the day, 2010, my wife's like, uh, hey, I'm graduated. Do you want to go back and get your degree? 
And I, this, around this time, I, I was like trying to figure it out. So I, I started writing a movie and I was like, maybe I'll try to write a movie, you know? Wow. And then I got a job working at Wells Fargo, which was my first ever real office job. And I found out about podcasts. And so like 20, this was early, late 2010, early 2011, like Marin is just starting out. Um, comedy bang, bang, comedy death ray was a big thing back then and stuff. There was Todd Glass had a really great podcast called Comedy and Everything Else back then. And I just started putting this stuff in my head 24 hours. And I had always loved stand up. I had like been watching Comedy Central my whole life. And so one day, like this, the, what would have been a time to set up for classes for the spring semester of 2011. And I was like, what if I tried an open mic instead? And she's wow. like, she's like, I don't give a shit, you know? And <laughs> so I Googled it in Des Moines and then I went to an open mic and I, April, like I just passed my 10 years. It was April of 2011. And at that first open mic, I met Brandon Ream, who is my podcast co-host, lives in Brooklyn to this day, one of my best friends. Uh, Gideon Hambright was there, who's like one of my best friends. I run a show with him in New York. He's here too. And then like another 10 people who I could list that are pretty, like fairly successful comedians all around the country who we all started at the same open mic in Des Moines 10 years ago. That's, That's wild. fucking crazy yeah. that like and, you do a podcast now with someone at the first open mic. That's And we're so, our show is literally called The Nostalgic Front. So we like all the time have these like, uh, for, one of you, to use your word, Emily, like a bro down where we're just like, can you believe <laughs> this? When we were at People's, no, no, nobody knows when we used to just sit in the back of People's and hope that we got to go up, you know? And Wow. <laughs> I'm trying to think really of a fun. single person that was at the first open mic I ever went to, but I... I can't, I just remember snickering because I was like so dedicated to spot on doing material that I had yeah. like written down. And I remember like stumbling a little bit and it obviously being very rehearsed and yeah. not the vibe of like, I just am going to get up here and jerk off for four minutes, totally, you know? Totally. And so I just was like so uncomfortable and I, it was at QED, which is normally oh, wow. one of my favorite yeah. spots, but I was like, I have to leave. Like, I remember just being like, I gotta go. Did you, okay, so you started, did you start comedy here, Carly? Yeah. That's so, I like, I, I have no concept of it. I'm like good friends with like Emily Winter and stuff. And we've talked about that a lot. And like Jen Welch was the same way. It's like, when you start here, you, this is all you have. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it helps you in so many ways, but it's also like, I could always go back to Des Moines and do two sets and get all my confidence back and like <laughs> see these people and stuff. And you didn't have that here. And I just think that's so interesting. And that's, Honestly, like I, I know you guys aren't locking the gates here with Mark Marin or whatever, but uh, that was when you when I first saw the the podcast and started listening to stuff. Um, Alone at lunch, when I started comedy, was the first time I ever had that like feeling of like, what am I doing? Because prior to that, my college roommates were my friends from high school who I made when I was in fifth grade, and so starting stand up was the first time I met people and had to be like. Uh, like literally I was like 25 and I was like, uh, Hey, uh, do you want to hey, be yeah. my friend? You know? <laughs> and then like also meeting people, bonding with them, having great experiences and then realizing they suck and being like, I've never had that. I don't know how to do that. You know, I'm not equipped to find out that you're actually trying to steal money from me or whatever, you know? Uh, so that, that was that feeling. And then coupled again, when I moved to New York a few years later, start had that exact same thing again and then i feel like coming out of this once uh uh i'm fully vaxxed and jumping back into the scene i feel like that's going to happen again like it's just yeah it's a weird world out there i i am like jumping back in i'm fully vaxxed and i uh i stayed safe and no judgment on whatever but yeah, i yeah. i did not do it in person and now i am and it is a very wild world that went on without us you know yeah. and it's it's very weird because everyone that I, I guess I will get into it. Everyone that I like, like and respect <laughs> stayed home. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like, you know, you see those people, like I saw, I saw Joe Wiener on Saturday and I was mm -hmm. like, Hey, you know, we had this whole, like, Oh my God, we're back. Yeah. Feel the sunshine on our faces. We're doing comedy. This is great. And then, you know, you go to a different, I, uh, I hosted an hour of this like marathon open mic. Um, and like the second person was like, maybe 23 white yeah. dude started talking about dick slapping somebody and like i was like oh um a nothing has changed yeah and yeah, yeah. b you guys have all been and like it was it was very funny because i was leaving and i was like leaving to go do a spot which mm -hmm. is not like a brag but it's just sure. literally what i was doing it's what you want to do two uh like 20 like young dudes clearly were like Oh, because I said something to the person who was also running it. I was like, oh, I have to go. You know, I was at New York Comedy Club. So they were like, 
they gave they made this face and they were clearly like who are you yeah. because they've been doing it all pandemic yeah. and i was like never i know and- right i'm a ghost and i'm <laughs> and ghosting I- right out of here I had already, because I, I wrestle with that. I have, like, anxiety, like, crazy. And so, like, I worked at stand-up with this whole plan in my head of, like, I'm not going to deal with the New York clubs, not against them, but I'm, like, that's a path that I feel like is going to be harder for me. I think it'll be more easier for me to, like, get in with these people who I, like, friends of mine. Instead of re- having to rely on uh, somebody of power to tell me that I'm ready to tap me, I can just have my friendships and, like, people who I who think I'm funny. I'm not saying, like, I'm getting stuff. But, like, and go the route of you know do the cool shows do the brooklyn shows right. and stuff self-produced like that. in brooklyn and then all that sort of stuff and then go tour in the midwest like diy tours where you don't make money but that's what you do and so that's what i had been doing that was my whole it's like from 2016 17 18 19 that was what i was doing and i was getting i was happy i was good i was about ready to record an album and everything and then first off everything shut down and so immediately i was like i've lost everything but prior even to the shutdown, I had coffee with a comic who's a good friend of mine who I like a lot, who's, who's like, I would say younger and hungrier in the scene. And we were talking and this, I just, this was like probably October of 2019. And I, I had been on the road a lot in 2019. And I, ma- I made some reference. I was like, eh, it's so weird when I go to open mic sometimes and I feel like I don't know anybody. And he was like, yeah, I mention your name sometimes and people don't know who you are. And I'm like, <laughs> and, and I literally think about that as, as the pandemic kept going month to month, I'm literally like, they didn't know who the fuck I was. Not that I, I've never achieved anything, but it's right, like, but they, still, nobody knew you prior. Think, yeah. yeah. Um, it's not a and, fun feeling to have somebody be like, oh yeah, no, no one yeah. knows who you like. When those thoughts <laughs> that you have in the back of your head, when somebody's like, is like, oh yeah, 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 that's true. That thing you were scared of. Yeah, yeah. You don't yeah, matter. No, it's, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. going to affirm it for you. My new thing uh, is that I have been introducing myself to everyone yeah everyone because i want to do it before they have to ask so if there's even a tiny question if they do not give me a big face of recognition from 10 feet away i am going to introduce myself i'm just gonna be like hey emily walsh nice to be in there and and i'll i've been saying like i think we've met before but emily walsh Walsh, like this is my name i'm not doing i'm not gonna have that moment i refuse to have that moment of like hey uh what's your who are you yeah i won't do it i don't want to I feel the exact same way. Like that's, I, I, I just, uh, it's made me reevaluate things so much in a way of like stand up the thing that for nine years, I, if you took a, a week off, it right. felt like you lost an eternity. And now I literally almost a full year, like fuck, like 10 sets in a year, live sets. Like I wrote, my, I, 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 on Tumblr, I always would write like, oh, I've been doing stand-up seven years. Here's my st- here's what I've learned this year. Here's what I'm excited about. And I did that every year. And I did that for my nine year, which was a month into the pandemic and being like, right. ooh, weird. I haven't done stand-up in a month. And then I wrote, I didn't even write a 10 year because I'm like, what am I going to say? I did five, <laughs> five cents or whatever. <laughs> and it's like, it, it made me feel so like, uh, just in such a weird lost way, but also reflective where I learned so many things like, writing way more getting good at doing stuff like this like podcasting and these online shows and like just communicating through zoom and now my my writing partner uh is in la and so that is something that we're way better at doing now working together than it was prior to the pandemic because the pandemic forced us to get outside of each other to get really good at working remotely and working through zooms and stuff it Um, just gives you like weird perspective because i Obviously, I feel I, I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth, but I feel like everyone's had the moment of this year of being like, do I keep doing stand up? Yeah. Like, what do I do? And like, just in the past two weeks, I've been doing um, New York Comedy Club has changed their late night to like uh, three comics that it's kind of checks kind of late night and it's the end of the cool. show. And so people, if you're the first person, people are paying their checks. But if you're the next two, they're kind of not. But whatever. No one really leaves anymore. They used yeah. to kind of leave throughout late night because there were 10 comics. Now there's three. And it's booked. You don't, like, mm-hmm. sign up. So it's um, – so I did it, you know, a couple times. The first time I did it, I was like, oh, my God, I love comedy. It was amazing. Because it was the first night clubs were open again. Mm-hmm. And it was a Friday night. And I got like a really good, like one, like really, really good laugh. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> and then I went uh, and I did like a Tuesday at like 10.59 or whatever. And I work a 10 hour day. I get up really early, you know, yeah. but normally pre-pandemic, I, I just didn't care. And all year I've been like, literally, how was I doing this? Like, how was yeah. I not sleeping this much? But so I go to the, the 11 o'clock Tuesday night and I, it's fine. You know, it starts 
yeah. 10 minutes late. The person behind person ahead of me really brought the energy down kind of on purpose. It seemed. Yeah. <laughs> and I did it. And I like left and I got in a cab and I like, cause I had to get up so early. I was like, I'm going to take a cab. And then my cab, uh, the machine wasn't working. So they'd pull over. So I got a second Ugh. cab. And the whole time I was like, my fiance is at home. Yeah eating alone with our dog like why am i in this cab like i just was like what is the point of comedy and then i did another friday night and i was like comedy's life fuck yeah yeah yeah. like i just like i can't i'm just fluctuating back and forth the ups and downs that's that's what comedy is but i feel like before i was like a little i've been like it was peaks and valleys and now it is like mountains and like craters like it is wild it's so all of the things with stand-up it's so easy to delude yourself when you're right. getting up every single night, be it at a weird open mic or six shows you do or whatever, when you're doing it constantly and you're constantly writing and your brain is constantly thinking like that, all the negative stuff of like, what are you doing? Like eight people get famous and they're like, I, like you, can, you could look at a, a map and tell, say who's going to get new faces next year, right? Like right. we already have all that information, you know? Uh, regular people don't care. The clubs book who the clubs book and stuff. But like when you're constantly doing it, all that stuff gets drowned out. But when that doesn't, you just see it and you're like, huh. And then there are people who it's not their fault, but like the FOMO hits where there's the people who I don't care about like the young, hungry 22 year olds who are like, I'm going to start comedy and go to the parks every day and stuff like that. That doesn't factor into me. You know, that just like how the brand new open micers, I feel like didn't factor in. It's the people who were at the same level I am or a little above, a little below who were probably around my same age who were like found a way to do stand up in a safe way that re- that worked with their brain and their power. That was what I was like, oh gosh, those are the people who like they they didn't lose as much time. They didn't, you know what I mean. Um, and so that was kind of a a wild thing to reckon with. And again, since I'm I have like two weeks before the I'll get I get my second vax on Saturday. So then after that two weeks, I want to hit it again. But like I've made so many decisions. Like I can't. I don't think I'm ever going to do an open mic that I don't, you know what I mean? Like a random open mic because you're near yeah. it or something. Yeah. Like I just, and I, I don't think like prior to the pandemic, I would have never thought of this. I would be like, I'll do a mic till I'm a hundred and you know, and like constantly, like, I don't care. There was something like a badge of honor to go to like a weird, a, a terrible Creek mic where no one, right. there's no energy and everybody's been bad. And then I could go up and with my new thought, have a great set. And and not just have a great stuff, but do the opposite of what that person did ahead of you, Emily, where you change the whole energy of the room right. and the rest of the mic is great um, or better at least. And now I'm like, I don't want to, I like, I literally want to just, we want to get our show back going because where uh, the venue we ran it at is gone now. And so we want to get our show back going and kind of keep, get those roots back in the ground. And then I think I want to run like an open mic that I decide with like, not like every random person come to, but like kind of like the people I like could come to. Yeah. yeah. And like the good comics who are, that I'm friends with that are in that vein, you know, and stuff or comics I like, and then just use that and then just go figure out the road again, you know? Cause like, I just can't see myself going fourth bucket in a, in a mic. Anymore. Anybody who's good, anybody who's good at stand up and who knows what they're doing. I don't think you should be doing those four. Those, if you're fourth in a bucket, uh, four buckets deep, you know, at a mic, I just don't think it's helping you anymore. Yeah. Unless you're brand new. If you're brand new, God, do as much as you can as long as it's safe. <laughs> um, what? When did you decide to go to New York? Like, what was that a big decision for you? Uh, yeah. I uh, so in Des Moines, I did stand up and uh, I did stand up in Des Moines for two years. And my wife, uh, when my wife was in college, when we were both in college, she interned in New York for a year. And so, like, for in like all 2009 or 2008 to 2000, she was in New York doing an internship and like she got to experience New York all by herself and live here and work. And it was great. And so she loved New York. I loved it from just the little couple of times I've visited and stuff like that. Um, and also like, there's just this inherent thing in me about like growing up on a farm in the middle of nowhere. And then you watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Sesame street and mm-hmm. friends and Seinfeld and everything is New York. You're, it's ingrained to want to be there. Yeah. And so, um, uh, I was two years into stand up in Des Moines and you hit the wall really quick. Like you, like it's a very small scene it's better now of course but at the time you could do on the best weeks you could do two open mics a week um there was like two monthly shows and one of them was one that i booked that i like my friend and i started because we had to um and like you could go do weird stuff like i was doing hours my first like six months 
and some of them were terrible, but some of them, like, if you watched that, you'd be like, oh, there, he's not great, but he, that's not the worst hour I've ever seen, you know? Yeah. Um, because you'd go to random small towns or you'd go to Omaha or you'd go to uh, the Quad Cities or Kansas City and you'd do these long shows. Um, so people hit a wall, I found. I noticed people were really hitting a wall when they hit their two and a half, three year mark where they're like, wait, I thought I was going to get famous at this or I thought I was going to be at all the clubs doing this. Um, and I had this job at Wells Fargo that I was, uh, after two years, my contract was up basically. And it was like, do I sign up to work there again? Which would be fine. You know, it would have worked. Um, it was a very easy job. And also, and weirdly, in Des Moines, a lot of comedians worked for Wells Fargo. So oh, yeah. our email, we had, a, we had like a comic, it was like a running open mic constantly. Um, that was really fun. Um, mm -hmm. But I was just like, I talked to my wife and she, her contract wasn't up yet. And so I was like, what if I just moved to New York by myself? And then I'll live there for what I think I ended up living here 18 months by myself or one eventually my wow. friend Gideon moved here and stuff. But, um, and my wife stayed in Iowa doing her job in Iowa. Uh, but since she loved New York, her plan was to get here anyway. And those first 18 months in New York, when New York city is terrible for a new comic, regardless of how long you've been doing it somewhere else, I never had to go home at the end of the night and look my wife in the face. Like after <laughs> at four in the morning, after doing five open mics and bombing at most of them, and then taking the J train all the way home, I didn't have to look at my wife in the face, you know? Yeah. And so when she came and visited, it's really funny. The first time she came and visited, I took her to Pine Box and like everybody knew that she was going to be there. And so like, she met like all these people like Julio Torres, Steve Whalen, and like all the, like just people who were like the scene in 2013 in New York right. and stuff. And like, she got to see me do really well at a mic that was really supportive where I knew everyone and everyone liked me. And so she saw that that was her what how's patrick doing in new york well i saw him and he was great it was really fun you know? <laughs> right um, and then she went back and then you were still doing and then i was terrible for until, another two yeah. years yeah <laughs> um and so yeah so that was that was exciting and then um by the time she moved here i was way way more established i had done a bunch of comedy festivals at that point and um i had a lot of friends here i think we were already running our jackknife show at that point um and so like i was kind of perfect in a weird way but uh for our, and also our relationship is like a unicorn type of a relationship where we did not have any problems with that like we worked really well that way and we still do like we worked really well that way we work really well in a quarantine where we've been in the same room with each other for a year and we're you know fine you know that's so, awesome yeah so it's really cool well congrats on that um I've come, we've come <laughs> to our uh, first and final segment yeah. <laughs> Which, uh, with the name of our podcast, Alone at Lunch, we would like to ask you, where do you like to eat alone at lunch? And it can be pre-pandemic. It can be now in your apartment. Okay. It can be the corner of your apartment that you like. It can be where you look forward to having your first solo lunch oh, uh, yeah, yeah. post-vax, whatever, whatever you're feeling today. Um, I like, I'm going to take this as... I think a place I'm looking forward to eating lunch. This is more of, maybe this isn't the answer. But uh, <laughs> I love uh, uh, when I'm on the road and especially like I, it's fun with a com when you, cause I always go, I don't drive. I, I do know how to drive. I hate it. So I always <laughs> go on the road with somebody else. And I loved the feeling of when you were on the road and like whoever you're with is like, I'm going to go to this place. And you're like, okay, cool. And then I would try to find a local coffee shop type place. Like a lot of times Starbucks, I love being on Starbucks on the road as well, but like try to find a local co coffee shop, little table, get some sort of whatever their sandwich is, get their coffee, get their stuff, and then just sit at the table alone and have that meal. And so it could be any mom and pop coffee shop. I don't have the exact answer, you know, yeah. but there's like, I have stickers on the back of my notebooks from them everywhere, from the one in Kansas City, the one in Tulsa, the one in, you know, Tallahassee, you know, um, and I, and I'm, that's something that I'm really looking forward to again, is when you can just sit and breathe and I can be like, oh yeah, this is what I always wanted to do. You know? Yeah. I, I was like doing to bands, go, you know, I, uh, I'm, I don't think of myself as a coffee snob, but I am a coffee fan and I dated a coffee snob for a really long time who was a like coffee shop manager. So he had reason to be, but I, uh, I do really like going to the, like the coffee shops in towns. And this sounds very snobby and New Yorker, but the town, the, the shops that are just starting to figure it out, like they're just, mm -hmm. they're like, we, we just got cold brew. We just yeah, got it yeah. and it's here. And I like to have that and like see how it is and give them the like $6 they charge for it or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then like, 
I also got really sadly nostalgic for like a boring hotel recently. Like oh, I was like, yeah. won't it be nice to stay in a hotel? Just, I just, just to stay there. I just watched uh, uh, Ewan McGregor has a travel series and he did like Long Way Around where him and his best friend took motorcycles all around the world. And like they drove around the world in 2004. Then in 2009, they did Long Way, Long Way Down where they went from Scotland to the tip of Africa. Oh and they're God. doing it on motorcycles. And this year, they just, or in 2020, they dropped one that's Long Way Up, which is from the tip of South America to Los Angeles. And I, first off, I've never been to South America, so I don't, it's a beautiful, you get that. But just the travel log of it all and the, them waking up and being like awkward and uncomfortable and not remembering what city they're in and stuff. It like, I was like sobbing in some parts of it because that's all I, that I, I, I didn't think a pandemic was going to happen. So I thought by... April 2021, I would have had two, possibly three more, two, probably at least two more month-long tours under my belt. I would have been back to those cities. I would have seen those friends you make that you only see once a year and stuff like that. And, and so like, I, you really miss that. And to go back to why I choose a coffee shop, I'm not a coffee snob. I, I love, ca- I'm addicted to caffeine violently, but I hate the taste of coffee. I think it's gross. I chug it as fast as I can. But I'm also a super picky eater and I'm a vegetarian. So I, uh, if you go to a town and you're like, where should I go? Everybody tells you like a fancy, cool restaurant. And then I'm just going to go there and see either a bunch of stuff I don't like or a bunch of stuff I can't eat or I won't Covered eat. in bacon grease, yeah. yeah. So then a coffee shop is always good because you always can get like a nice little sandwich that's easy. You always get like, sometimes they do their own kettle chips or you just get like a really good muffin or something like that. And then that's your lunch and it's always nice. You sit there, free Wi-Fi, you listen to music. I like to make a playlist every time I'm on the road of like those songs. So then a year later, you're listening to Spotify and a random, uh, you know, pup song comes on and you're like, oh, that's that song from that coffee shop that in uh, yeah. Albuquer- Albuquerque. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I love that. Well, that's awesome. I'm looking forward to that as well. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, to travel. To travel well, again. Patrick, this has been so fun. Thank you. I'm sorry I spoke too much. I hadn't No, really... you never spoke too You're much. You're the guest. There's a guest. This is what it's all about. And Thank speaking you. of speaking more, we would like to hear um, you promote whatever you have to promote, podcast, handles, oh, all that sure. stuff. Let us know. Let everybody know. Uh, well, you can follow me on Twitter at Patrick Hasty. That's at P-A-T-R-I-Z-K-H-A-S-T-I-E. Uh, PatrickHasty.com. Uh, I used to, when I would do, you know, you used to do podcasts and stuff before the pandemic. You'd be like, uh, PatrickHasty.com for all upcoming shows and dates. And it's like, well, that doesn't, you know what I mean? <laughs> Literally, if you go there on my shows page, it just says LOL and then my Venmo. Uh, <laughs> but you can go to PatrickHasty.com to see like web series and, and like sketches and videos and stand-up videos. There are stand-up videos on there and stuff like that. Um, and my podcast is called the Nostalgic Front Podcast. It's on everything that you listen to podcasts on. Um, it's very funny. It's, um, we did two, 400 episodes uh, where every week we would have one episode with a guest and we'd talk about the best parts of growing up. And then we'd do one episode that was like a fun size deep dive into something like maybe Nintendo 64 or uh, a random movie, you know, The Wizard, that movie with Fred Savage or something. Um, but then just recently in the middle of March, we have uh, rebooted the show, which was really fun. And now we do um, one episode a week. They're about, uh, they're long, sometimes around two hours sometimes, but it's now it's just me and Brandon and we discuss like way more like trending to stuff. Like we talk about like what new movies are coming out and stuff like that. But then we do a long discussion about a specific thing. Like um, we literally just finished a Christian Slater month. So we did, <laughs> wow. we, we in-depth hour long conversations about four separate Christian Slater movies. Um, and it was, it's really fun. It's great. And it's also, we're really good friends. Like I said, we've been doing this podcast together since 2016 wow. so now it's like all fresh and new so definitely go check out the new the nostalgic front podcast perfect awesome emily yeah. uh you can find me on all the platforms at the funny walsh and you can find the podcast at alone at lunch pod and if you want to email us that is alone at lunch at gmail Hell perfect yeah. and i'm carly j montag on the platforms once again patrick this has been so fun hopefully we'll see you again soon in person and um stay safe be well have a rest of your day. Thank you. Bye, yeah, guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to Alone at Lunch early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen early and ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. 
If you're listening to this podcast, then chances are good you are a fan of The Strange, Dark, and Mysterious. And if that's true, then you're in luck. Because, once again, Mr. Ballin' Podcast, Strange, Dark, and Mysterious Stories is available everywhere you get your podcasts. Each week on the Mr. Ballin' Podcast, you'll hear new stories about inexplicable encounters, shocking disappearances, true crime cases, and everything in between. Like our recent episode titled White Dust. After a middle-aged couple fail to answer their daughter's messages and calls, the daughter drives the few hours to her parents' house to check on them, but after arriving and seeing both her parents' cars in the driveway, the daughter gets an uneasy feeling and just can't stomach going inside. To hear the rest of that story and hear hundreds more stories like it, follow Mr. Ballin Podcast on Amazon Music or wherever you get your podcasts. Prime members can listen early and ad-free on Amazon Music.